Thank you, Leslie and Paul, and good to see you all here today. <laughs> At least one of you is happy to see me, right? That's good. That's good. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6 once again. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be reading the passage we'll be looking at for a number of more weeks. Lord willing, Ephesians chapter 6, as we look at spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning now at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. May God add a special blessing in the reading of his word, and let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for you being here amongst us. We thank you for all of the privileges that we're afforded of what we are in Christ. Thank you for sending him to take care of business, take care of the thing that we as humans willfully accepted and took sin over you. And yet, before the foundation of the world, you determined that Christ would be the answer. It would be he that would take our punishment, our sins, of which he knew nothing of, and yet he died with those burdens, separating from you for those hours of agony and distress which is unimaginable to us. And then after dying on that cross to be buried Three days later, rising from the dead, proving that he had completely filled all of the debt that was owed by us. Thank you, Father, for providing the way. Thank you for showing us love. Thank you, Father, for the grace that can come as a result of that gift. Today we're thankful for that. Father, we're also thankful for what you've done for us in the sense of preparing us allowing us the preparation, shall we say, maybe even better, that you provided armor, the whole armor of yourself. We may be able to stand firm against the craftiness of the enemy. Father, we would, with that in our minds, ask you that you would teach us through the power of the Spirit exclusively today how we relationally get closer to you as we adhere to the Word of God, as we take on and prepare for truth. We would ask, Father, that these moments would be yours, teaching us, guiding us, strengthening us, giving us wisdom, allowing us to live life fuller with more discernment, more attached to you than we've ever been. And, Father, we would ask that you would be glorified and honored because you and you alone are worthy of our worship, praise, and adoration. 
Now as we go to the word, again, fill our minds with you. May the spirit have his way with us, leaning on you in every aspect of this day, asking it in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Well, last week we uh, actually detoured just a second, shall we say, a second. Well, it may seem longer than that to you that we're here, but um, at any rate, we we detoured a moment because it seemed to be very fitting uh, as we're talking about the passage again, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 primarily, and it's the sense of getting our armor on, getting ready for battle. We're in a war, by the way. If you're here today and you've accepted Christ as Savior... First and foremost, you need to know you're saved. But secondarily, you have been drafted by God. Now, I've noticed every time that you're drafted, right away there's something that, when I say that word, there's something about that, isn't there? You see, you don't get a draft notice and then wait for the phone call to see if you'd like to join them. Would you be so kind as to come and be with us so that we could engage in the battle? No, no, no. You give up home, you give up family, you give up all amenities of life, quite honestly, to be part of the team. You become a soldier. And if you didn't think you were one, they'll make one of you. Well, literally, if you've accepted Christ, you then are engaged in the battle. The spiritual warfare of which we've kind of engaged in the sense of the thought process, peeling back the veil that Daniel did for us in chapter 10 of Daniel to see that behind the curtain of invisibility is a very active, active battle that's raging and roaring between good and evil. And thankfully, as we come to the last part of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul raises the issue saying, you have a whole lot of things going in your direction. In fact, he talks about in chapter 1, you have all of these heavenly blessings in chapter three, or chapter 1, verse 3. What you are in Christ, you have forgiveness, you have grace, you have power that's unimaginable. The very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, put him at the right hand of God, and raised him forever for eternity as being the first fruits of that. That power literally lives within you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you still don't look very excited. <laughs> We're going to keep working, though, because literally that's what God has done for you. But it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. He says that clearly. He says it very succinctly in a number of places. In fact, Jesus even said, because they hate me, they will hate you because you love me. That's been going on literally for eons time. Eternity has been, has been uh, taken. At, we have eternity to look forward to because of what Christ did. Our resources are truly remarkable and infinite in Christ. But we need to be prepared for battle. A Christian that is not ready for battle is going to be a Christian who is victimized. Let me say it again. A Christian that is not ready for battle is a Christian that will be victimized. That's not a nice way of saying that, is that? But literally, if we're not putting on the whole armor of God, that's literally what we become. And by the way, as we think about the desire to win, we'll be talking about this as we go further in today. Um, you know, if you get in the professional sports arena, uh, you take I don't, whatever you're, you just think of two football teams, for instance. 
The difference in talent is probably not very much because obviously they're going out and getting the, these teams are getting the very best talent that they can literally get and they pay a lot of money for it. So you line up a professional against professional, it's pretty close, isn't it? And so the difference oftentimes, actually I'm going to say 90% of the time, is the desire. How bad do they want to win? I'm telling you, that's the way it is. Now, for us sometimes, now if we look at the enemy that we have to fight, we have Satan and his demons. It would look like a junior high football team against the professionals. Right? So we think we don't have a chance. That's exactly where you need to be. It's because if you think you have a chance, is when you don't have a chance. Because I'm here to say, because of what Paul has talked about in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3 primarily, getting our heads right, getting the truth fixed in our heads, and then looking at the rubber meeting the road, quite honestly, I don't care if you are a junior high and on the other side is some superhuman spiritual being that you can't even see. This armor allows you to win every single time. That is fantastic. So how do we get it on, right? That's what we're going to want to talk about. But before we do that, um, I don't think we've done this. We've talked a little bit about it. But I'd like to look at a numbers of ways that literally Satan will attack you. We're going to get inside his playbook, if you will. They say that's one of the wars that were fought in the Civil War. Uh, one at the outset of it, actually, it was the beginning. And the North was so confident, quite honestly that it was going to be a very short war that they actually, if you're ready for this, they came out to have a picnic on the side of a hill to watch this skirmish, which was words they used, that this would be over literally overnight. Wrong is correct, Leslie, very wrong. In fact, what happened is the gore and all of the blood and the horror which war brings, literally that day took control once again. And that war tore this country to shreds. There was a war. There was a war. But there was a war in which, uh, a battle which I'm failing to remember right now. I apologize. And I thought if I stalled long enough, it would come to me. So far, it hasn't. But quite honestly, General Lee, the, the leader of the Southern forces in the Civil War, was a really, really sharp general. He was. He was very, very gifted. And on this engagement, actually, the North and the South fought and there was more casualties in that particular battle, which for whatever reason I can't remember. But what allowed the North to literally win that day was the fact that two Union soldiers happened to come across the battle plan of General Lee that had been mislaid. And they brought that to the general of the Northern Army. And he was able to see what the enemy, his enemy, was doing and therefore was able to win. That's very much what the scriptures talks about with Satan. It shows us how he operates. It shows us under what conditions he loves to work and to deceive. And he loves to deceive. That is primarily his focus. of every, And it says actually in John chapter 8 verse 44. He's a liar, but he's not only a liar, he's the father of lies. If you want to go all the way back, where did lies begin? 
with the devil. His name means slanderer. He is a liar. That's what he does. So with that, let's take a look at it several ways. I don't know this would necessarily be complete, but nonetheless will give us some ideas of how he attacks it. And then, the Lord willing, with enough time, we will then get into putting on that first piece of armor, the belt of truth. Well, one of the first things that Satan loves to do, and he attacks the believer, is by undermining God's character and credibility. He wants you to doubt God. That's exactly what he did with Eve. He's been playing this game from that day forward. He wants you to doubt God's love, his plan for your life, doubt his grace. You do all of those things, if he can just get you just, just a smidgen of doubt, and you know where that starts? <clears throat> right here, right in your mind. That's right where it starts. Because if he can get you to doubt just a little tiny bit, then you're already undermining God's character and credibility. And yet, the scriptures talk so much about what God has done for us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. In fact, let's go there for a moment. Maybe even Titus. We could go, I don't know what you're closest to. Go to Titus. Let's go to Titus chapter 1. I think this is, uh, I hope I'm right. Titus chapter 1. Yeah, here we go. Uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul writing a letter. He says this, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie. That's, an, that's really good, isn't it? Don't you, he couldn't lie if he wanted to. I mean, it's almost, it, it almost feels wrong the way I said that because it's so foreign to the fact that God lying, he couldn't do it and I can't even finish it because he doesn't want to because he can't because it's not a part of who he is. But let that sink in for a moment. Now, Satan, it says that he cannot tell the truth. And yet he is scattering his lies, saying that God is lying, and Satan is telling the truth. And here we have God literally described as being one who cannot lie. Now, let's keep going. I'll read it. Let's come back to verse 2 again. A hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. <laughs> now, that's some love going on. It also speaks of his sovereignty, his knowing all things, his omniscience, to think of that. Then what other, I was going to take you to another verse, which was, did I mention it or not? I've forgotten it. Titus chapter 1, and then, uh, oh yeah, Ephesians, just go back to Ephesians. I asked something silly like, which was closest? Well, obviously Ephesians chapter 1 would be closer than Titus, but we went there first anyway. So let's go ahead and read verses 3 and 4 of Ephesians chapter 1. Talk about getting and breaking the box open so that you see what you have in Christ. Paul does it immediately upon making an introduction, verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 3 it says this, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you're in Christ, you have more spiritual blessings than you can possibly even imagine. What? According, because of... He hath chosen us in him, chosen us in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Wow! That's enough to just make us say, that's amazing. Amen's great. Actually, that's as good as it gets. Isn't that something? That's what we have in Christ. 
But if Satan can just get you to wonder, does God really love me all that much? I mean, it would have must have been really hard to sell to Eve, wouldn't it? How, would, how, long did, how many nights did Satan have to think about, how am I going to get to Eve? How am I going to get to Adam? These two that God created, they're living in this perfect garden. They're actually literally walking around with God in the afternoons. What am I going to be able to, te- what am I going to, be able to do? Exactly the way he still does it today. If we could just point out that maybe, 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 God doesn't really love them as much as you think he does. Did God really withhold a tree from you? How bad is that? Did God really not let you have that new car? Did God really not let you get married to that person? Did God really not let you have that ranch? Did really God... Do you see how it starts? Now, you may not have been in any of those phrases, but you can make your own up because it's the same thing. He'll sell it just exactly the same way. Just try to chip away at how much God really does love you. Because if he can make you to doubt, he's attacking you, and that's why the whole armor of God will be required for you. But not only does he undermine God's character and credibility, he also wants to make it very hard to live the Christian life. Uh, with, it's, it's interesting, if you listen as someone would, would spell out the gospel, uh, that Jesus Christ died for us, that he can save us from our sins, and he and he alone can do that. One of the things that seems to creep up in the back of this unbeliever that is just getting a taste and hearing this word of the Lord, the hearing the gospel is, well, I don't know that I'd want to give up all my sins. I kind of like those. Well, that's because you're owned by them. You don't own them. They own you. And it's Christ that can break that bond that owns you. But isn't it amazing? In other words, it's going to be harder to stay away from the things that I think I really do like. How many people have walked away from Jesus Christ's offer of eternal life? Because of, quote-unquote, there may be love for sin. They don't want that hard life. Now, it's interesting how a hard life can come, or at least the perception of one truly is. If you were born and raised in a communist country, and I'm thinking of the Soviet Union or communist China or an Islamic country of which it is illegal to be a Christian, you will suffer the word persecution. We have literally, at this point in time, we have literally no full exposure or understanding of what that looks like. We've read of it. We've heard of it. But to literally experience it on the level of which many Christians today will lose their lives because they're standing up for Jesus Christ. Is that easy? No, it's not. It's not. It's very hard. But the really cool thing is, is that Jesus Christ didn't just die for your life here. You're 70, 80, 90, 100 years. If that was all there was, I'm telling you, I wouldn't buy in. It's not worth it. But that's not what he bought. He bought and paid for eternal life. And no matter what happens to you, you're his forever. No matter what. I'm going to say this a couple times a day because it hit me for the first time. You know, sometimes you wonder about, could we actually 
would we do the right thing if somebody walked through that door and held guns on us and said, okay, if you are not a Christian, you may leave now. If you've not trusted Christ or you want to deny him, you may leave right now. But if you truly trust Christ and will die for him, which is going to happen right now, right today, in this place, if you are going to stand up for him. And we think about those moments sometimes. What will that look like? Is that going to happen? I'm, I'm here to say we're certainly closer in America than we've ever been. Is it going to? I'm not here to say that. But the point of the matter is, but let me say something that I think is even more serious than that. It's a lot harder to make a moment-by-moment, disciplined, committed, whole life. I'm fully in for God every single minute of your day than to just take that moment. Because that's the end of your life. And if you've trusted Christ, literally, it's that fast. And you're in his arms. That's not the one that literally really does concern me. What does concern me is for me to lose my witness, to lose my testimony, to not be fully engaged, fully committed, being fully prepared for warfare... Every single minute of my life. Because that's where Satan will weasel in. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. It's so easy to let down for just a little bit. We become complacent. I've uh, never seen the church more complacent in the world than we see it today. The church of Laodicea. Uh, that might be some reading uh, uh, assignment for you this week. Revelation chapter 3. And if I told you to do that a couple weeks ago, do it again. I think we're right there in the middle of the church of Laodicea in the sense of Jesus Christ said to that church, I wish, I just wish you were hot or you were cold, but you're neither. You're lukewarm and I can't stand that. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's where the church is today, quite honestly. We don't stand for anything. We're wrestling right now as a country and a nation. And and I'm going to talk as the church. Where's the line where we'll finally just say, that's it. That's no more. We're going to worship God rather than men. We're going to obey God rather than men. Where is that line? It's just, it seems so, so fuzzy. And you know why? Because we have not taken truth seriously. Truth is very fixed. When they're not going to allow us to worship God freely in this nation, is that enough? See, that happened in Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer took a stand. In fact, for a while, it was so dangerous that he left and went to the United States. He was here for a short time. I don't remember exactly how long, but it wasn't very long. But he said, no, I can't do this. This is not my country. This is not my people. I've got to go back home. I've got to fight the fight. And he did. And he fought the fight to the very end. In fact, just within a month or two of the very end of the war, he was hanged. That was one of Adolf Hitler's acts of defiance into someone that loved God. But do you know where Dietrich Bonhoeffer was immediately? In the arms of his Savior. But him to hold firm to that line day after day after day after week after month after year that's what commitment's about. We're going to find actually as we think about the belt We think of the belt of truth, and truth is what most of the time we would say, that's what everything holds it together. It does, by the way. But that word atheia is the word that's used for the belt of truth. 
I'm here to say that it's much more a picture of preparedness. We'll be talking about that as we go on. Because, now, see, I'm way ahead of myself again. We're still talking about what Satan is, his ploys of getting at us. So number one was what? This is a review. There's nine of them, so let's get ready, okay? <laughs> oh, look, listen to the laughter, right? You're going to write them down? Well, shall we do that? Shall we write them down? Yeah. But that would mean you guys could cheat then. Yeah. <laughs> so let's have you help me write them down. How about that? We're going to talk about them, and then you're going to tell me what I should write down. <laughs> so what was it what was our first one excuse me he is a liar and it's to undermine god's character and credibility that's what i'm, I'm we're going to do it that way undermine and this one's not as good as it was undermine there we go god's character and credibility Okay, and the second one was what? Going to make it hard to yeah. He's he's going to make it hard to live a Christian life. Now, think. Give me an example. Now, this was in the Old Testament. Give me an example of where he really got in somebody's mess kit and he made life tough. He was going to show that this guy really literally isn't as cool as God thought he was. Job. Job. Boy, it came right to your mind, didn't it? Did he make Job's life hard? No, he made Job's life almost intolerable, right? I mean, who wanted to be in Job's shoes? That's why we say he had the patience of Job, or if you have the patience. That's, that's, that's tough. I mean, he took, he took all his kids. He took all his stuff. He took all of his servants, except one to come back and report, wiped out his crops, wiped out everything. Wiped out everything. <laughs> for a purpose. For a purpose, right? And then, and, and then, and then he goes back and God said, I, I actually, I, I don't know, I can't. But I was like, what do you think now? Yeah, well, it's just skin for skin. You mess with his health and he's done. See, that's one of the ways that God actually, I'm sorry, Satan really does. He's the sense of a destroyer and he will cause as much suffering as he possibly can so that you doubt God's plan for your life. He does that regularly and he did it with Job. And that's when Job's wife said, curse God and die. Now, again, think of her for a moment now. She finally just had it. She watched all this. This is her husband. She, all, she lost all that stuff. She's lost everything. Now she sees her husband in physical pain, which is, I think, unimaginable. And she finally just cracked. And you know what? It didn't matter. Job said, the Lord taketh. Oh, the Lord giveth. The Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then his friends came. Who do you think was using the friends? Satan was. Isn't it amazing? Anyway, we're not going to get, you can tell if we don't keep moving, the nine are going to turn into next week's psalm, right? So, but we didn't even finish two yet. Another way to make the Christian life hard is through peer pressure. This is where you let others around you dictate how you respond. You know, there's a part of us that we like to be accepted. We like to be liked. 
And sometimes if you stand firm for Christ, families, I can think of, of differences in families. That when we don't stand, when we do stand firm, guess what? You can feel it. And it's hard, isn't it? Some of the worst are actually within families themselves. That, that animosity, in fact, there's a story told that I read this week that uh, someone got saved and, and he went to tell his brother about it. He opened his Bible and he said, man, this is so cool. And that brother snatched the Bible and threw it against the wall. He said, don't you ever talk to me about that again. That's persecution, isn't it? That's hard. That's hard, isn't it? Because you as a Christian know what that brother, in this case, is missing. He's missing having a Savior. He's missing the fact that he needs a Savior. And you are kind of hand-tied. And who did that? Satan. He's deceived him. Just like he did Eve. That's basically one of the challenges in a, in a country such as America that's been so prosperous, so affluent for so long, is we've had it so good for so long, we don't know that we really have lost it. That's where we're at. But there's one other one, which this is going to sound almost like an oxymoron. It's not so much in America anymore, but it was, which I think is actually the reason that we've really regressed in the way of moving away from truth. One of the things that makes it really hard to live a Christian life is when it's really easy to be a Christian. And you say, that made about as much sense. <laughs> let me say it. Let's try it. Let me try it a different way. Uh, maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago in America... To be a Christian, to say, I'm a Christian, that was okay. That was cool. That was cool. You could say that downtown. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to go worship God. I love God. That was cool. There's nothing wrong with that, right? And you know what happens? You become very complacent. It's very easy. We go there. We go there. We go over there. There's no resistance. You know what happens when there's no resistance? There's no strength. Why don't you try doing a physical training with no resistance? Whew, that was a workout. <laughs> right? That's exactly why it's so hard to be a Christian when it's so easy. Now, that's changing. In America today, it's not cool to be a Christian. It is not at all cool. In fact, we have moved almost through the sense of peer pressure, which has always around us, always will be here. But we now are at a level of persecution to be a Christian in America. If you want to stand, stand firm for Jesus Christ, you better be ready and have the whole armor of God on because there's going to be a whole lot of darts, a whole lot of things flying at you. So those three ways are interesting. All three of those actually make the Christian life very hard. And Satan's behind all of them. He's behind all of them. Two down, right? We are rolling. You guys don't... I can see it in your eyes. You don't think so. <laughs> well, let's see. What else, what else can we say about Satan's tactics? Well, you know what he did with uh, Eve? He actually misspoke the word of God. He loves to teach false doctrine. Because if he can get you to believe something that's not true, now he's on a roll. He is rolling along. Let's go to um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 for a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He's speaking, this is the second letter to his, the one he's mentoring, this one that would 
he was raising up to take his place. Timothy, young man. Verse 2, let's start there. Actually, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1, 2 Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, is appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. But after their own loss shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Huh. I wonder if that's happening. Yeah. Or any device that is communicating stuff, right? Is that not crazy? That's exactly what's going on. That's exactly. Confusion. It's rampant everywhere. Let's go back to Ephesians. Uh, just before your text in chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 11. It talks about the spiritual gifts and then literally ties us into why that's important. Ephesians chapter 4, verse, four, uh, verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, that's a mature man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then it's like verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine or teaching by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's exactly what's taking place. Now, actually, where you see that cunning craftiness, See that there in verse 14? By the slight of men and cunning craftiness. That same Greek word is used in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Ephesians where it says this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the cunning craftiness of the devil. (laughs) So where do you think the false teaching is coming from? From the devil. Did we write number three down? We did. So, Bill, what is number three? Teaching. (laughs) There we go. You are so quick. Let's keep rolling. Another way that Satan attacks us is he's always wanting to hinder our service to Christ. He wants to stop the ministry. He wants to stop progress. He wants to stop a thing or, an, or any sense of help of which somebody say, you know what? God was here. God was active. That person really loves Jesus. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. 2 Thessalonians. No, I'm sorry. 1 Thessalonians. I'm sorry. so sorry. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. I think I'm still wrong. No, that's it. That's it. Yep, that's it. We'll start in verse 
I don't remember where we want to start. We'll start in verse 7. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. If you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. And he goes on to talk about that. Now look at this. Turn over, same chapter, look at verse 18. Verse 18. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered or stopped us. Did you see that? Do you think Satan's not active? Do you think Satan wanted Paul to go back to Thessalonica? I don't think so. In fact, let's go back into Acts and relive exactly this moment, potentially. Acts, let's go to chapter 17. Acts 17. Acts chapter 17. And let's plug in to verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews. So they're in Thessalonica. That's just where we were reading. And Paul, as his manner was, this is just who he is. It's one thing about Satan. You could kind of figure out what Paul was going to do. He's going to go teach about Jesus in the synagogue. That's what he's going to do. He went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Now that means something. See, for us, it's Jesus Christ. But when he said, this Jesus, this man Jesus, is the Christ, in the Jewish synagogue, that meant that Christ would be the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one, the one you've been waiting for. He was your Messiah, the one you killed, that one. That would almost be the way he would have done it, too, I'm pretty sure. Right? Let's keep going. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. In other words, these were guys that could be bought and sold. Gathered a company and set all the people in an uproar, assaulted the house of Jason. He was the leader of the synagogue and sought to bring them out to the people. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brothers unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. This is called hindering, isn't it? They're trying to stop ministry. They troubled the people and the rulers of the city. When they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. In other words, Jason probably had to give some assurances. This is not going to happen again. Watch what happens next. Like a bail bond. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Okay, 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 okay. I promise I'm not going to let him do that again. Okay? Watch what happens next. The brethren immediately, verse 10, sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the He's so predictable, isn't he? They just got kicked out of Thessalonica. The brothers say, you better get out of Dodge because it's going to get worse for you. And they said, okay, fine. We've been hindered here. We're just going to move on. They go to Berea. Where do they go? We should probably lay low for a little. No, we go right in the synagogue of the Jews and watch this. 
These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether the things were so. That is so. That verse just strikes me as so awesome. You know what? They heard the truth, they listened to the truth, and they made sure it was the truth. Isn't that cool? I'm on fire today, aren't we? I'll tell you what, this is, this is fantastic stuff. It's really good. Let's keep going. Where was I at before I was wandering here? Verse 12. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of little old Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came hither also and stirred up the people. What would we call that? Hindering. Hindering God's work. Hindering God's work. He loves to hinder God's work. That's number four. Hinder God's work. So, of these four so far, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you can identify with Satan using these devices to mess with your Christian life? I see some heads nodding. Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? Let's go to number five. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter three. I'm sorry, chapter four. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. This is what, I mean, literally, if you know how Paul writes, the first half of an epistle is talking about getting your head right, getting your thinking right, get, be, be thinking about truth, get it filled. And then in the last part of it, he says, okay, now that since you know the truth, let's live the truth. And right out of three verses talking in there, he starts them. He wants them to walk worthy of vocation, verse 1. Verse 3, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Unity, unity, unity. What does Satan do? Divide, 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 divide. Divide and conquer. In fact, what he wants to do to someone that has sinned is to, is to peel that person off and get him as far away from Christians as possible, knock him up against the wall and say, you're a loser. And he even tries it before God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says that. He's accuser of the brethren. He says, what are you going to do with that filthy guy, man? What the world? He's a loser. Jesus says, excuse me, Your Honor, I paid for that sin. He trusted me as his Savior. I paid for that sin. We've got some talking to do. He's out of fellowship with me right now, but we're going to work on that. But he's not worthy of death because I paid for that sin. Isn't that great? But Satan's there to divide. Divide, divide, divide. He loves to divide churches. I was at a church. I mean, it was a great church. I loved the church. Word was taught. It was fantastic. Nearly split the church in half over. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Are you ready? At the front of the church, there was a curtain that behind it was a painting, and it was really cool. It was like the cross. Um, you've maybe seen a picture of it. It, it was, I don't even know who painted or what, but it was, when you saw it, it was, it was just it was great because you have this huge Grand Canyon, and on the one side is this masses of people, and the only way to get to the other side, which is, has a, a kind of a picture of heaven, if you will, of glory land, was to take the cross, right? It's the only way. It's exactly right. Do you know that they fought over the color of the stupid curtain? You can't make that up, can you? Color of the rug. Now, who do you think was behind that? Satan. Satan. He loves to divide. 
Jesus Christ tried to put it together, Satan tries to divide. In fact, you know, you know what Satan's first division was? The angels. The angels. One third of the angels. It wasn't good enough for him to think he could be God and, you know, he's going to be the cool. He, he, he divided the, the ranks of the angels. I wonder how many of them would rethink that one. But they got one shot. That's one of the things angels, I'm sure, can, they don't figure this out. Those humans, they get, they get a whole lifetime to get it right. And the history tells them that Jesus died on the cross. They've got the word of God. They've got the truth. We got one time to get it right. And we're still having trouble figuring it out, aren't we? Oh, my goodness, right? Divide, 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 divide. Satan is a divider. He's a divider. That's why one of the things, one of my favorite, I've got it written down on the, turn with me if you don't mind while I'm writing this down. What, what would this one be, Bill? Divide. Divide, there we go. Division. 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 Go to, uh, did I tell you where to go? I didn't. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. One of the things that we particularly need to take care of, and I'm, not talk, I'm talking about Christians obviously as well, but almost everyone, you need to really do this. Uh, Romans, not Romans, Proverbs. If you're in Proverbs, you're doing fine. Don't listen to me all the time. Proverbs chapter 4, in verse 23, it says this, Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That verse is so incredibly important for us today. You know, and, and all of this stuff that you're receiving in your ears, all of this stuff that's news or issues or intel or whatever, guard what you take in. Make sure it's truth. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Think on those things that are pure. Think on those things that are lovely. Think on all of those things that literally honor God. Those are the things to have in your heart. That's what it's about. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. All right. Do you know we're past the midpoint? And somebody just keeps forgetting. Amen. <laughs> Amen, Ernie. That's, I like it. I like it. Um, okay. That was so good. I lost my trip. Lost, lost my place. That was good. That was good. We're on number. We're on number six. Okay. This one's really big. This one's really, really big. This is one that sometimes it's so subtle. It can actually sneak up on us, and we don't see it until it's too late. Now, remember, let's think back to even our text that we read today, Ephesians chapter 6. It says, put on the whole armor of God. Should we go back and read it? Let's make sure we get it right. Remember, remember Eve tried to, tried to rehearse and reiterate back to Satan what God said, and she didn't get it right. Let's, let's go back to Scripture for a minute. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. You're probably just right there anyway. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11. Uh, verse 10, I'm sorry. Finally, this is the last thought I want you, my brethren. I've told you about all the stuff you have. It says, be strong in your own might. I tried really hard. and You guys caught it. It says what? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That, my friends, is the biggest wreck that we usually have. Of these five, which are about to be six things that Satan attacks us, when he can get you so fired up to think that you are going to depend on your own resources, he has you right where he wants you. 
If you're going to try to resist, in fact, we talked about this last, it, for whatever reason, I think it was, was it last week or the week before? I don't remember. But this, for the first time, maybe is I don't know, so I don't have a very good memory anymore. But what are we supposed to do with Satan? We are to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you know what God resists? Now, God has told us to resist the devil. Do you know what God resists? Pride. The pride. He's, God resists the proud. Did you get that in the right context? We're supposed to resist Satan, and God literally resists the proud. And when we are standing in our own resources, we are going to get our butts kicked. Big time. I want to show you. Now, what do you, if I say David, this to me is, again, how subtle this whole thing is. If I say David and I say sin, what do you think? What comes? Go ahead. Just be honest. What comes, what comes to your mind? Bathsheba. He committed adultery. And then if he committed adultery, then it was... Murder. And who did he kill? Yeah, Uriah. And all of this other intrigue and the lying and the manipulation and all of this stuff. How many people died as a result? There's probably four or five people, legitimately. And, and, and we could go on. And, I mean, we could surmise and say there was more than that. But, but for this, would you be okay with, okay, the baby that was born? That's one. We have... Uriah, we have Amnon, okay, and we have, there's one more that I can't think of right now. So, so suffice it to say, there's at least four, maybe five people that we can say is attributed to, to David's sin there. I'm going to show you something now that we often forget, but this was a sin that David was relying on his resources, and do you know how many men it cost? How many people this cost? Are you ready? 70,000 people died because David was going to show God where his strength was at. Now, I'm not trying to minimize the other sin, but I want you to... This is what's important. When we rely on our own resources, we literally are in the most dangerous position that I can begin to tell you. Let's go to First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles chapter 21. I'm not even sure how much we're going to read, so that means we're probably going to read a lot, right? First Chronicles chapter 21. Now, again, it's really interesting how the Bible lays this out immediately in verse 1. That's where we're going to start. Um, we, we have no question right out of the box something Satan is up and behind. Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Think of that. Just think of that. I mean, things are going well. David's doing fine. The nation's doing fine. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, right? So what does he have? It says this. He says, Satan stood up against Israel. Why Israel? Because he hates Israel because God loves Israel. It's, it's, it's just like it is today. Why do you think Israel gets shot and bombed all of the time? Because Satan hates Israel. So he stands up against Israel, and he provokes David to count. And you're saying, well, I don't know what that all actually means. Well, let's keep going. David said to Joab, who's Joab? That's his, that's his general, okay? When he's got problems, if you've got a problem with, with a guy that is the, is the husband of the wife that you committed adultery with, you call in your big boy general, and you say, Joab, would you make that guy go away? You just pull, let's pull everybody to the front for just a second and pull back and they end up killed. That's exactly what happened. And Joab was that man. Do you know that's why David never could really get rid of Joab? He was actually a very evil man. Joab owned him. 
Every time, I'm sure every time David would kind of, excuse me, David, you remember the Uriah incident? (laughs) Solomon, you're going to have to take care of that guy. (laughs) And that's actually what happened. Let's keep going. We're way off. To, we're way off track. But isn't it amazing? Do you see how Satan held that host, held David hostage through that sin? Let's keep going. Verse two. We'll keep moving. David said to Joab, to the rulers of the people, "Go, number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan. Bring a number of them to me that I may know it." Joe and Joab answered, "The Lord make His people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then do you require this thing? Why do you want to be a trespass to Israel? Did you see? Even Joab knew this was wrong." He's crying out to David, don't do this. Don't do this. David puffs out his chest just a little bit more. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. In other words, you go do it. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David, and all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand men that drew sword, and Judah was four hundred threescore and ten thousand men that drew sword. That's a lot of people. Probably about 500,000. <clears> Half a million. I mean, what do you think David did with that? He's, he's checking. I, I can't write on the board right now because I got stuff here. But if I was going to write, he's, whoa, Joab, man, that is knocking it out. Look, at, I got a half a million guys that can go out and they work for me. Guess who is not impressed? But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I beseech you, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. The Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer three Thee, three things. Choose thee one of them, and I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, choose three. Either three years of famine or three months to be destroyed before thy foes, while the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days. The sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coasts of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. Have you got the brevity of this situation? David, you've sinned big time. And I've got, there's three things. You get to choose one. Three years of famine. In other words, everybody just gets smoked. And I'm talking three years of famine like when Elijah was there. Remember those three years? There wasn't nothing. Or for three years, your enemies are just basically going to slaughter you. Or three days, the angel of the Lord comes and... What's it going to be, buddy? What's it going to be? You want to count some more? What would you do? Those that are cheating went ahead and read and found out what he did, but that's okay. What, what would you choose? I would choose not to count the people the first time. <laughs> Why did he count the people, though? Because he wanted to know what his, quote, strength was. He wanted to know how many men did he have, and who was he really counting on when he counted a half a million men? Was he counting on God? He was counting the numbers that he had counted. He said, look at this. It's like taking a balance sheet, and on the income side, I've got a half a million soldiers. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And see, but if he would have just trusted God, you don't need a balance sheet. 
You see? Because with God, you win. That's why, as you're sitting here today, it doesn't matter if there's a 285-pound lineman on the other side of the line that wants to crush you, that has lifted 1,000 pounds of making this up, making him stronger than he could possibly be. Do you know if you have on the whole armor of God, you can't lose? But this is the way that Satan got under David's armor. He didn't have it on. He sent him that little tiny note that said, why don't you see how strong you really are? See how many soldiers you got that you can really count on because that would make you big. He forgot about himself and Goliath. (laughs) That's exactly right because that's what made the victory over Goliath exactly the key. He never even saw Goliath. He made the battle the Lord's. And here later in his life, things are going well. Isn't this interesting? When things are going well, we lose sight of whose power we really are in or should be in. We need to be in the might of the Lord. In his power are we strong. 70,000 men died because David pridefully was going to count those soldiers that were his. I, I use this example because it's amazing. If you, if I, well, you answered it. I set you up. But if I put on the board, I say David sin, you say Bathsheba and adultery. You will never see it the same. I hope. First Chronicles chapter 21, 70,000 people died because David was prideful and was warned. This, you remember how it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13? And God will make a way with the temptation so that you may be able to escape it. You know who his escape route was on this? Joab. David, 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 David. What are you doing? God is our strength. Don't count the people. I said count the people. That's like pride on steroids, right? Who are you to say that to me? Okay, have I made my point? That's crazy, isn't it? And it was so subtle, David never even saw it. Even his servant, when he was given over Bathsheba. Yeah. I, that, that, that's exactly right. There was always a way for you to escape. God always, just somewhere, somewhere. In a, we, now, it's amazing how oftentimes we miss it. Have any ever missed it? I've missed it. It's easy to miss. Okay, that was number six. So what we're going to do with that one? We're going to go six. And we're going to say, depend on, I like that, ourselves. Okay, now what's going to happen is we're going to have to erase this. And this is where the quiz starts taking place. Okay? Okay. So here we go. You guys got it all memorized? Good. Okay. Because we've only got three left. Okay. I don't think we're going to get to the belt of truth today. That's what I'm thinking. Either that or we could eat and come back and do it. No. (laughs) There's nobody in favor of that. Okay. Number seven. Um, Satan loves this too. Do you remember, uh, and I don't know, is on this little drawing or this diagram, this paint, it's not really a painting, it's something. I don't know which one Judas Iscariot is, but he's in here, right? I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There's 12 of them in there. So one of these guys is Judas Iscariot. Okay? Now, do you know how many people 
in this room, in this setting, on this night, knew the real Judas Iscariot? He's got the gold bag. <laughs> the gold bag, the blue one, or the top. Which one? Where am I at? To the right of you is the gold bag. Right here? Yeah. Oh, he's slipping away. Yeah, that, that probably is true because he was the man, he was the treasurer. Yeah. Good eye, good eye. Probably him. Okay? But the interesting part is the other 11 disciples had no clue of the real Judas Iscariot. In fact, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And the rest, is it me? I mean, that's, that's how much they, he, he, he had faked them out. They wondered it was them. Jesus knew. He was the only one in the room that knew that night. Do you know what Satan loves to do? He loves to have people live hypocritically. Have your, you know, you have your, have your mask, you know, you're happy. I'm a happy Christian. Then you have the, I'm a helping Christian. I'm a joyous Christian. And behind the scenes, you know what? And Judas Iscariot is probably, I used him purposely because he is probably the hypocrite's hypocrite. They didn't even, and they walked with this guy for three years. They were close. You can tell, even on this last intimate evening where they were having supper together, and Jesus clearly stated it. One of you, tonight, this night is going to betray me. They did not have a clue. Satan loves to have hypocrites among us. He loves it. Because that, you know what the world sees? They know who they are. In fact, you know who knew else outside of that room who Judas Iscariot was? The religious leaders. (laughs) They knew him exactly inside out. But Satan wins when we live hypocritically. He wins. He wins. Satan will sell it better to look good than to be good. So we'll put number seven as living hypocritically. Is that close spelling? Crit. Is there another I in here? Huh? Is that right? Okay, thank you. Thank you from far. And you're wondering, how can we get through the last two quickly? What else would Satan, let's, we're down to the end kind of, and what, what, how could Satan, what else, I mean, what have we left out for heaven's sakes? In fact, we're going to review here in a moment, but, you know, one of the things that he loves to do, I'm going to make that one last. I'm going to actually make that one last, because this is what he really heads for. The next one we want to do, and this is a way of compromise. This is, this is that sneaky part of him. It'd be okay to do that just this one time. It doesn't. It won't. It, it, like it doesn't matter. I mean, really, seriously. Are you kidding me? It's kind of like those guys. Remember that that statue of Nebuchadnezzar standing up there, and for one month, everybody's going to bow down to this thing. And you know, can you imagine that? Do you think that there was other Israelites that were there that did bow down, and the three that didn't? Yeah, I bet they were. I bet they were. I bet they came in with Daniel because it says a lot of them came. And what do you think that lie was? Don't worry about it for one month. What the world? 30 days, bad, it's over. And then you can, you can honor God again, right? That's kind of start stuff, though, doesn't it? If you compromise in this little area, there's another one sure to follow. And pretty soon, guess what's going to happen? That sense of pursuit of truth, and we're talking about the preparedness of truth. That's what the belt of truth is. It's preparing for truth. It's preparing for battle. It's getting truthfulness in your very sense of lifestyle. 
He wants you to become worldly. He wants you, and as it says in, in, uh, in um, Romans chapter 12, one of the things that actually happens to us is we compromise a little bit and we become conformed to the world. We start to look like the world. We start to act like the world. We start to live like the world. And pretty soon, like someone says, there's not enough evidence to convict you that you are a Christian. Do you know who wins in that deal? Satan. He literally wins. Let's actually go to 1 John chapter 2. Let's read this for a second. 1 John chapter 2. Let's see how John the Apostle responds to this. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the... Did you see that? If those three things, all of the things that are in the world are in those three things. It is not of the Father, it is of the world. Now, here's the deal. Verse 17. And the world passes away. The question is, what in the world are you doing with eternity in front of you being conformed to something that's passing away. You see, its demise is coming. It's over. It will end. The world will end. So why would we do that? Because Satan is so good at selling us a bill of goods that's worthless. And we've all, everyone in this room has somewhere caught into this world, correct? It's an easy sell. He's good at it. He's good at it. That's right. And it's a big hook too, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So what are we going to, how should we tag that one? We'll just say, causes us to live worldly. How's that? And Jerry, we could say, actually, how do you get that? It's just one little compromise at a time. Show me compromise, and I'll show you a complete wipeout and discipline. It just falls apart. I actually like it's, this. Is this is off the subject, but it's really not. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, I can't remember the whole the whole. He was he was he was writing on his diet. He started the diet, right? And so, and I'm not going to get this perfect, but it was like in the morning, one egg, two pieces of bacon. Noon, um, I'm going to say four ounces of chicken, lettuce salad. Supper, I can't remember. It's like four ounces of fish and broccoli something, right? Snack, one scoop of ice cream. <laughs> Midnight snack, the rest of the ice cream. <laughs> That's about the way it works, doesn't it? Especially in the world, too. It really is. In fact, let's, 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 uh, let's go to... Um, Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And let's look at this. <clears throat> this is actually a really good picture of what God is asking us to do. And he is really cutting through exactly what Satan is up to. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, if the first 11 chapters of Romans talks about everything he's done for us. Because of that, I beseech you, I command you, I beg of you. 
by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I would say of us in this room, knowing what it would be to really be a living sacrifice, I know I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. Really, honestly. A living sacrifice? You, you know what sacrifice means. That's full in. That's full commitment. That's completely prepared to do anything God asks of you. Whoa. Got it? Okay, now watch. Here's the other flip side of it. Which is your reasonable service, verse 2. But And be not conformed to this world that's smashed into its mold, but be ye transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. It all starts right there. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, all of these things that we've written down today, right here, do you know where every one of them starts? Right here between your ears. That's where it all gets started. That's why, remember Proverbs 4.23? Guard your heart. Guard that intimate place of where decisions are made because that's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. Now, ultimately, number nine, the last one, is literally to cause us to act in disobedience to God's word. It's almost like this is the culmination. When we disobey God, we truly give Satan an advantage or a beachhead. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I remember some of the wars that have been maybe the hardest to win, but it's to gain access to the homeland of the enemy. And it's usually very costly. It's very costly. But if you can get that beachhead, if you can literally get on their shore and take a stand, have a position, you have a huge advantage. And Satan has a huge advantage in your life if he can somehow get himself wedged, encased, encapsulated, a beachhead in that inner part in the back corner of the house of your heart that God doesn't go very often. Because you don't invite him in there. Because that's kind of the closet that you keep some of that stuff around. Just in case you might maybe sort of someday down the line, maybe, I don't know, need it. And that's where it starts. And pretty soon, there's a few more things in there. And a few more. And pretty soon, there's not room for it in that closet. And so you give him another room. And pretty soon, you know what happens? He's got more than a beachhead. He's beginning to win battles. He's beginning to tell you stuff like, you don't need your armor on at all. Buddy, I'm here for you. What do we know about the... This is the one thing. What do we know about Satan? He is the father of lies. He never tells you the truth. Ever. You know this from the bottom of your heart, from what God's word is. Thy word is truth. That's what the Bible says, John 17, 17. If Satan says anything, it's a lie. It's a lie. Okay, now Bill's going to tell us, oh, we haven't written down number nine yet, and he's going to, we're going to rehearse the nine because these are ways he attacks us. Well, Bill and the rest of you, okay? <laughs> number nine is... I'm going to let them go first. <laughs> You've always been doing so well, Bill. <laughs> Wants us to disobey God's word. In fact, you know, one of the easiest ways to disobey God's word is not to read it, not to be worried about it, not to be concerned about it. How many times have you, oh, I'm out of time. I probably should just run to my job because I, oh, I'll, I'll get with God later. I'll read his word tonight. I'll read it in the middle of the night. I'll, 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 and it's the next morning. Oh, I'm late again, right? Or is that just me? 
for it happens, doesn't it? It really does. These are now. Is it, are these the only nine ways? I don't think so, but they covers a lot of country. So let's review because this is important. If you have, if you know the, if you know the enemy's playbook, it's a lot easier to head him off at the pass. And again, we're not looking for him. Don't don't wake up tomorrow morning and go trying to fight Satan. No, 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 no. We're never told to go chase him down. We're never told to go demon hunting. We're never told to bind demons or Satan. We're not told to do that. We are told to stand firm in his might, capital H, and in his, God's strength. That's the deal. So, number one, he attacks us by... Undermining God's character and credibility. Number one. Okay, number two was making the Christian life difficult. And we talked about three ways of doing that. This is extra points. Um, one was no extra points. <laughs> no, did it. Persecution. Yeah, persecution. Persecution, that is very difficult. By the way, that is very difficult. That'll sort through it. But you know what's really interesting? When you start to look at the, at the churches that are aggressively growing, do you know what the underlying issue of that is? Persecution of the church. The more he tries to persecute the church, the more ultimately it grows. Because why? Because they're dependent upon his strength and not there's one down the road that's going to talk about something that you're going to need to know to answer the question correctly of what those nine, nine are. But that's okay. You know what? That's one. Is persecution number two? Peer pressure. I want to be accepted by those around me. Number three, that's exactly right. Sometimes he makes it hard because he makes it so easy for us to be complacent, to just literally just come and go and be and do and all of that. Okay. So number three is he teaches false doctrines. Bad teaching comes from the outside. Absolutely. From, in fact, we could have went to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter... 10 verses 10 and 21 it talks about that the gentiles were worshiping they were religious they were in a religion and they were worshiping and giving meat to idols which literally was designed as being he says this that that is not to god that is to demons that's pretty revealing that's like peeling it back in other words these people are involved in saying they're worshiping a god of something you know who they're really worshiping according to what first corinthians chapter 10 says the devil, to the, to the demons. They have religion and worship of demons together. That's false teaching. That's false. Where does it come from? It's the doctrine of demons. Okay, number four. Hindering service to Christ. What example did we use there? I can't remember it now. Oh, yeah, in Thessalonica, right? He was hindered. In fact, that word is literally used in... Uh, First Thessalonians chapter two verse eighteen. There it is. Okay, that they were that he literally hindered them from going back to do the works of Thessalonica. Okay, number five. Excuse me. Divide, 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 and conquer. Loves to do it. Number six. Counting on our own resources. That, to me, is still probably out of all of them. It may be the most dangerous because I use an example. I don't think you'll ever forget that now, will you? When I say David and I say sin, you're going to think First Chronicles chapter 21. It literally cost 70,000 Israelites their lives. He was the king. 
He was the king, and he was always responsible. Yep. So number seven, this is going to be harder now the last three, of course. <laughs> number seven is living hypocritically. <laughs> Paul, just go for it. What do you think number eight would be? Well, I don't know. I mean, you just go guess. Wants us to conform to the world. How effective is that today? Amazing. 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 And the last one, this is, if you're going to wrap it all up, this is really what he wants you to do. He, he, first of all, does not want you to know God's will. He wants you to disobey God's word. He wants you to disobey God's word. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to close with this. And do you notice what we didn't get to today was the belt of truth. But that's okay. That's what God makes next week for would you rather know the truth or see, you know, you know, those people in the buzzers, they'll sometimes buzz in before. And that was a bit, I think, but that's okay. It was, but it was good. Cause you got to know the truth. Okay. But I was, I got, I was just having fun. I was just having fun. Right? Okay. Or, or walking in the truth. Serious. <laughs> I look serious. That's where you want to be. Yeah. And yes, we need to know the truth to walk it. But I'm going to say what? There's a whole lot of people that know the truth that aren't walking it. That's the church of Laodicea. And pretty soon, you know what? They don't know the truth. In fact, what happens is they deny the truth. In fact, let's take a look at that. They change the truth. That's a word. We'll, we'll, we'll find a lot of things about truth. We're to guard the truth. Know the truth. Look, look at what happens in Romans chapter 1. I told you I was going to quit. I'm not quite going to do it. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And let's watch this, what they did with the truth. That's exactly And it was. It was exactly that. Romans chapter 1. And we're just going to dive in at three verses. Actually, we can't even do that. We're going to have to take more than that. We'll have to start in verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Oopsie daisy. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and God, and so they are without excuse. Literally, I don't care if, you've even, if you're in the middle of a jungle somewhere and you just... Just study the creation and you think, no, you know that there is a God. Because that, verse 21, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their own imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. <laughs> Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the un, in, I'm sorry, uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now watch carefully. Wherefore, because of that... God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Watch verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what happens when we change God's truth into a lie. I believe that's why America right now is in the judgment that it is being placed in. Because of that very thing. 
But now, even when we know the truth, and Paul, that's why his epistles are there, that's why we have the scriptures for us to know the truth. But I want to take you to 3 John, and it's easy to miss. Don't find chapter 5. Don't look for chapter 10. There is one chapter, verse 4 of 3 John. Let's go there for a moment. 3 John, and I want you to see how John the Apostle, the one that wrote the Gospel of John, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he says in the 3rd John, verse 4, this is fantastic. In fact, let's, let's, let's start in, we, we got to just go to verse 2. There we go. 3 John, verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. In fact, he says, your, your spiritual life is doing so good, I hope the rest of you is doing fine. Now, you know how we do it here? We don't even think about the spiritual aspect, which I just hope you're healthy and wealthy and in money forever, right? Okay. He says this, I hope the rest of your life is as good as your spiritual life, because watch what happens. Verse 3 for I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. That is fantastic news. So, yeah, we need to know the truth, but don't stop there. Walk it. Live it. And that's really what putting on the belt of truth is. And, and yes, we're going to stop. You guys were getting nervous. You're like, He's not seriously going to. No, we're not seriously going to do that. We're going to shut down the study for the day. But as you think about it, it's going to be a little bit different twist on the belt of truth. Because we're going to look at the meaning of atheia in one that has more to do with preparedness than content. That's for next week. Leading you to come back to see what the rest of the story well, with that, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for us to be able to see how Satan operates, his playbook, the things that he works, and how he tries to thwart us in every imaginable way. He's tricky. He's sneaky. He's powerful. He's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. He's wily. He's cunningly crafty. All of those terms describe who he is, but we know above all he's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. But, Father, you are greater than he, for you have even, John told us in 1 John chapter 4, 4, that greater is he that is in you than in he that is in the world. Thank you, Father, that when we put on the whole armor of God, he is completely, completely lost. Not because of us, but because of you. Because of the armor that you've supplied, the strength that is living within us, the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within us, it seals us under the day of redemption, as it says in Ephesians. Father, all of those things are ours. Help us not to fall prey to his ways of cunningly attacking us. Particularly, Father, the one that speaks to us so loudly today is the fact that when we rely on our own resources, when we count our own assets, when we're looking at how strong we are, we are the most vulnerable at that point. It's very displeasing to you. As we're told to resist Satan, you literally resist the proud. Father, take us this week. There's a journey in front of us. There are steps, many to be taken, even on this week. Each day has its own. I would ask, Father, that you would keep our paths straight, keep them directed completely and wholly on you, and above all, Father, that we would guard our hearts, for out of it are the issues of life. The decisions that we'll make, Father, because of what our heart believes, 
is immensely important. It starts in the mind. May you help us to capture those thoughts that need to be captured and to be cast out. Satan is always trying to deceive us. He's always trying to make you look smaller than you are. He's wanting to take away from your character and who you are. Father, may we see him for who he is. Father, give us clear, clear, concise discretion. May the word speak loudly to us this week. Thank you for relationally where we are even in these moments now. We've probably never been closer than we are when we're thinking clearly about you. We lift your name up on high. We glorify, we honor you in everything we do and say. We thank you for what you're accomplishing in our lives one moment at a time. That's just the way you work. That's the way sanctification is. Help us to stay in the moment, each moment, thanking you for all that you're accomplishing. In Christ's name. Amen.